when you get to know someone, when you really know that person, whatever that person does, it doesn't matter. How wonderful it is to find someone like this in your life, someone who knows you so fully that they will always be there for you no matter what. Why couldn't I do this for myself? While we'd all love to believe that our parents, spouses, or close friends will never ever abandon us, the truth is there's really only one person whose loyalty will remain rock solid. You. You are the one person you have to live with for the rest of your life no matter what. So why not invest in knowing yourself well enough so that regardless of what anyone else thinks of you, it won't affect your self-worth. That was my takeaway from a Korean drama that I recently just finished. And this is the Korean Vegan Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more purposeful and empowered life. To know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. Socrates. My husband and I have been tearing through Korean dramas over the past couple months, and recently we finished up the 16-episode 2018 hit, My Mister, a drama that was recommended to me by many of you. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Korean dramas, just think extended miniseries, a full story contained within one season, which usually is about 10 to 21 episodes, divided into 1 to 1.2 hour episodes. The subject matter can range from courtroom dramas like juvenile justice to sci-fi crime thrillers like Signal, it's a favorite of ours, to the quirky rom-com Love from Another Star, which I adore. Now, My Mister is a romance plus office drama. It revolves around two people who meet at work. This newsletter, though, is not a K-drama review, so I won't get into the plot other than to say that the writing is really good, the acting is totally amazing, and the character development is really stunning. Anyway, the reason I bring it up, this is totally relevant, is because of this bit of perfect dialogue that I've been mulling over the past several days. To set the stage, mini spoiler alert, the main character, Dong Hoon, has just taken one of his direct reports, a young woman named Ji An, to the hospital. Now, Ji An has been avoiding Dong Hoon because it has recently been revealed that she engaged in a bit of corporate espionage at their office and is likely facing jail time. Jian has been working as a temp employee and has a so-called checkered and tragic past. When she was only 12 years old, she killed a man in self-defense, and since then, she's been working odd jobs to support herself and her ailing grandmother, who is deaf and paraplegic. Super sad story, very typical Korean drama. Dong Hoon knows all of this and overwhelmed with both pity and this like inarticulable sense of camaraderie, tracks her down and when he finds her delirious with fever, takes her to the hospital. When she comes to, the following exchange occurs. Jian says, do you really not hate me? And Dong Hoon sighs and has a seat on the edge of the hospital bed. And he says to her, when you get to know someone, when you really know that person, whatever that person does, it doesn't matter. And then he pauses and he says to her, I know you. 
Now, two things struck me immediately. Number one, how wonderful it is to find someone like this in your life, someone who knows you so fully that they will always be there for you no matter what. And the second thing, why couldn't I do this for myself? As I've talked about in earlier podcasts, while we'd all love to believe that our parents, spouses, or close friends will never, ever abandon us, the truth is there's really only one person whose loyalty will remain rock solid. You. You are the one person you have to live with for the rest of your life, no matter what. And while that can sound a bit daunting, it can also be comforting. You will never leave you because you literally cannot leave you. So why not invest in knowing yourself well enough so that no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. And by it doesn't matter, I don't mean know yourself so that you now have the license to be an awful selfish human being. What I mean is this, know yourself so well that regardless of what anyone else thinks of you, it doesn't matter. Or to put a finer point on it, know yourself so well that regardless of what anyone else thinks of you, it won't affect your self-worth. Can you think of a time recently or in the past when you allowed someone's opinion of you to sway your self-evaluation one way or the other? And I do mean one way or the other. And I'll give you a good example. When I was in junior high, there was this boy, Matthew, who told his best friend, who subsequently told me, because, you know, it was junior high, that he liked me. Now, I didn't know Matthew at all, other than as the quiet, somewhat sullen-looking boy with dark blue eyes and really expensive clothes who sat a couple seats behind me in social studies class. But it felt so good to be liked by anyone that I immediately liked him back. And we were boyfriend and girlfriend in so much as romantic relationships existed between 12-year-olds. For three whole days, I was on cloud nine because this boy, a blonde haired, blue eyed boy from the nice part of town liked me. And therefore I must automatically be cool. But alas, as the old saying goes, all good things must come to an end. (laughs) He told his best friend, the same one who conveyed the first message to me that he no longer liked me and that he intended to quote, dump that dumb chink. I am the aforementioned dumb chink. Needless to say, I was devastated, not really because I particularly liked this boy who couldn't be bothered to figure out that his girlfriend of three days was Korean and not Chinese, either that or he couldn't get his racial epithets straight, but because I no longer held his esteem. Thus, in three days, I went from being one of the cool kids at school to being a loser, not just in the minds of the impressionable preteens at Woolmit Junior High, but in my own. Is this relatable to any of you? Let me try a more recent example. Around November 2020, my phone was ringing off the hook with new clients who wanted to hire me for the first complex cryptocurrency chapter 11 cases filed under the U.S. bankruptcy code. I know that's a mouthful, but if you recall, I was in a former life a partner in the bankruptcy and restructuring group at my law firm. A few years ago, I started acquainting myself with blockchain technology as a hobby and wrote a few articles here and there about the intersection of U.S. bankruptcy law and Bitcoin. I'll include links to them. (laughs) There's like two uh, in the show notes below. And I was sure that only like seven people would read them. I'm, I'm actually sure that only seven people have. But that is honestly how to become an expert in a field really, really quickly Be the only one nerdy enough to write about a topic no one else even wants to understand. 
In lieu of representing a number of individual clients, though, in this big Chapter 11 case, I decided to go for the gold, a committee representation, which is far more lucrative. For those of you who don't know Chapter 11 law, i.e. 99.9% of you, a committee gig is one of the best roles an attorney can have in a large bankruptcy case because the committee can often be one of the most powerful voices on such a case. So I put together a dream team of some of my favorite colleagues to pitch the gig and worked my ass off all November, including on Thanksgiving Day, and was thrilled to learn I was selected to be among a handful of finalists. I was the youngest by a fair margin and also the only woman. I knew that there was virtually no one on the planet who understood blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and bankruptcy law as well as I did because it was such a freaking random combination of things, right? So I went into the final pitch, guns blazing, and I rocked it out. My partners all congratulated me for pulling together an excellent presentation, and I was writing high already thinking about how amazing it would be for such a young partner to bring in such an important case. But I didn't get it. It doesn't matter why, because I can never really know why, just like I can never really know why Matthew dumped me. But what I do know is the crushing devastation I felt. I was a failure. I was an imposter. I was, once again, a loser. I was so swayed by the committee's rejection of me, I had a hard time drumming up motivation to show up to the office for several days. But here's the thing. Nothing had changed. I was the exact same lawyer I was when my phone was ringing off the hook a few weeks before because at that time, everyone realized I understood this arcane topic better than possibly anyone in the world. So I go back to this. How would things have been different On the inside, had I been armed with better self-knowledge? Going through life without knowing yourself is a lot like walking into a jury trial without cracking open the exhibit binder. And in case you're not a lawyer, that's a really bad idea. The whole point of a trial is to test your position. And the only way you'll be able to stand your ground is knowing the facts. Anna Katharina Schaffner, PhD, author of The Art of Self-Improvement, Ten Timeless Truths, likens the lack of self-knowledge to being stuck on a boat in the middle of a storm. Quote, if we do not understand our basic motivations and fears, we will be tossed around by our emotions like small vessels helplessly adrift on a choppy sea. Ruled by forces that remain incomprehensible to us, we will not be able to navigate towards the shore. So, How does one begin to know thyself, as Socrates encourages? There are a lot of suggestions about dispassionately taking inventory of one's strengths and weaknesses, soliciting feedback from loved ones, evaluating your relationships with people, even keeping a dream journal. I think that one is really interesting. And while I think these things can all play a vital role, for some of us, i.e. me, we have become so hopelessly biased we might as well be surrounded by funhouse mirrors, at which point perhaps the best thing to do is walk away from the mirror. The other day, someone gave me some really good advice. High self-esteem and low self-esteem are really two sides of the same coin. They are both the result of putting the self in front of everything so that you can't see anything else. 
I love this analysis of the two different ends of esteem because I think it tells us something that's very important. Sometimes the best way to know who you are is to interact with who you aren't without expecting anything in return. I remember listening to Ritual's Finding Ultra and literally pulling off to the side of the path I was running when he said, pursue what's in your heart and the universe will conspire to support you. I have since tweaked that quote, sorry, Rich, and often tell myself, the universe conspires to support those who act in its service. So in case you couldn't tell over the course of several podcasts and newsletters, I'm going through this thing right now where I'm having trouble reconciling my feelings of self-worth as well as the hurt that I feel over a relationship that hasn't gone the way that I thought it would. And I reached out to a very, very good friend and mentor of mine, and he sent me this wonderful email that includes this incredible piece of advice. Quote, There will be those who doubt, dismiss, question, or look to incite you. Be like water. Flow around the obstacles others place in front of you. Trust in yourself, your intention, and your true servant heart. I just want to read that last part again because it is so powerful. Be like water. Flow around the obstacles others place in front of you. Trust in yourself, your intention, and your true servant heart. You see, I had always believed that confidence was about standing in your truth, not allowing yourself to be shaken by the forces designed to test you, to push you around, to make you fall. But perhaps I was wrong. Maybe the answer is to replace reaction with intention, to replace ego with service, to erode the boulders of my heart with water so that my truth isn't stuck in front of a mirror, but is always surging ahead. So every week, I invite listeners and readers to submit a question about life, about love, about going vegan, about running, whatever is their fancy. And this week, Denise has asked this. Hi, Joanne. I am a Chinese-American, Guangzhou Cantonese girl, and I just turned 25 years old, and I'm feeling so lost in life. I have a deep passion for cooking, pole dancing, and singing but none of them have taken off. I'm deeply shy, but also have a deep need to express and be seen. I feel really insecure as an Asian girl in America that wants to take off doing my passions. I'm just at a place where nothing is happening for me. I know it seems heavy and a lot to ask, but what are your thoughts, opinions, guidance, experiences you can impart on me? I just feel really alone and have no one to turn to for guidance and confidence. Well, Denise, first of all, thank you for submitting this question and for trusting me as well as everybody else listening with this incredibly vulnerable share. I love that you know your passions. I remember on my first date with Anthony thinking to myself, man, this guy's so passionate about his music and I'm passionate about 
nothing. <laughs> it took me a few years to realize what I was passionate about, and really only by taking stock of the things that really piss me off, like racism. How cool is it that you are affirmatively passionate about things that bring you joy? I also think it's incredibly discerning of you to know that you have this need to express and be seen, something that probably many of us have, but are too shy to admit. In terms of something, quote, taking off, let's explore what that really means to you. And here, honesty is incredibly important, even if you're shy. Do you want to make lots of money with one of these things? Do you want to be famous for one of these things? Or do you merely just want to be able to sustain yourself financially so that you can devote as much time to your crafts as possible? If it's wealth and fame, I would ask you, are you passionate about cooking or passionate about money? Are you in love with pole dancing or are you in love with attention and simply using pole dancing as a vehicle for actualizing your true passion? And I don't like ask these things with any judgment. I honestly think people who look down their noses at those who are passionate about making money or being famous is super uptight and self-righteous and I do not count myself as one of them. I've met a lot of content creators in the past year and always find it like so refreshing when someone says, I just want to be on TV and make lots of money. It's honest, it's straightforward, and most of us would be liars if we claim that fortune and fame didn't hold some allure. So if the answer is yes, I just want to be rich and famous, then my advice is simple. Post on TikTok or YouTube shorts every single day for a year. It's not a guarantee, but it's the most efficient way I can think of to get you what you're looking for. But if the answer is nope, I'm really passionate about cooking, dancing, singing, then perhaps there are other reasons you need something to quote, take off. As I mentioned, if it's so that you can spend less time working a meaningless or less fulfilling job and more time singing, then it probably makes sense to zero in on singing over cooking and pole dancing. Well, I think it's great to have more than one passion. If you try to focus on all three things at the same time, you may spread yourself too thin and risk not maximizing your potential in any of them. Commit to really pursuing singing for a year by posting your sounds on TikTok or commit to consistently creating food videos on YouTube for one year without getting pulled aside too frequently by singing or pole dancing or commit to training for a pole dancing competition or sharing your craft in some other meaningful and safe way for one year. The point is, give yourself some time to truly commit to one of these things and you might be surprised at how far it takes you. If you still feel like you're not gaining enough traction, then move on to the next thing. Finally, consider what it means to be seen. What parts of yourself do you want to be seen and by whom? Because I'll tell you something, once you start sharing yourself, you will no longer have full control over who sees what. If you find the need to be seen overwhelming, perhaps there's an emotional exigency that is going unanswered, but that can be addressed in a less risky and manageable way. Are you feeling unseen by your parents or other family members? Are you feeling unseen by your colleagues or friends, your partner or spouse, your children? Maybe you can satisfy this yearning to be seen by making yourself visible, not to a bunch of strangers, but to those who've made you feel unfairly invisible.
Well, thank you so much, Denise, for submitting that question. I wish you the best of luck with singing, cooking, pole dancing, or whatever else is your passion. If you have a question about any of these kinds of topics and you just want an objective little perspective from me, submit a question. I'll include a link for that in the show notes below. So giveaway alert, I'm super excited to bring you this opportunity because in case you missed it, I had the privilege of moderating a chat with Simu Liu, the author of the instant New York Times bestselling memoir, We Were Dreamers. And I'm not going to lie, like seriously, I'm not going to lie. When I picked up a copy of this book, I was pretty worried it might be another ghostwritten quote memoir by a not writer celebrity. But wow, (laughs) don't judge a book by its cover indeed. I have been so humbled by Simu's book, which he absolutely wrote himself. Not that there's anything wrong with using a ghostwriter if the story is worth telling. While he is no doubt like an incredibly talented actor. He is the star of Shang-Chi as well as Kim's Convenience, in case you don't know who I'm talking about. He is, in my opinion, an even more brilliant writer and storyteller. He started writing this book long before he was cast as the star of Shang-Chi, and I found myself literally laughing out loud and crying all the way through his story. Now, I don't think many people know how much he struggled with his parents, whose brand of, quote, tough love would probably make most people more than uncomfortable. The story of healing and coming full circle with the two most powerful people in any young person's life is both moving and inspiring. Now, if you haven't picked up a copy yet, I strongly recommend that you do. And just FYI, the audio version is so good, uh, especially if you, like me, like to read while you're running, cooking, driving, etc. I'll include a link below if you want to register for the giveaway. The winner of the giveaway, which I'm obviously giving away a copy of the book, We Were Dreamers, will be announced next week on June 14th. Good luck. Announcements, including a recipe. It's summertime and the weather is getting super hot and humid even here in California and I have found myself getting sweaty by just sitting. (laughs) So now is the perfect time to make yourself a big bowl of naengmyeon. In case you don't know, naengmyeon is a cold buckwheat noodle dish and I have a recipe for that in my cookbook. If you don't have my cookbook, what are you doing? You should get a copy of the cookbook. If you do have my cookbook, then you should definitely check out this recipe. I have also included a link in the show notes below to this wonderful interview I did with WTTW, which is a local news outlet in Chicago in celebration of the James Beard Award nominations. And they have reprinted a copy of the Nengmyeon recipe there. So I'll include a link to that below. Also, just in case you missed it, I will include a link to this really fantastic interview I did with NPR on cooking Korean food, as well as a chat that I had with NBC News about creating food content. And finally, if you're listening to this early enough, I will include a link below to register for a live discussion with Michelle Yihi Lee on the Washington Post's Race in America. I'm really excited and a little nervous about that one. So hopefully it turns out good. Feel good links. So a lot of you really enjoyed the links to the various TikTok and Instagram videos that I included in last week's podcast notes. I'll include a bunch more in the show notes below. These are just fun 
you know, sentimental, moving, cheerful videos. I know we can all use a good heavy dose of that at the beginning of the week. So I bring that to you here and we'll aim to do that every single week. Parting thoughts. May was AANHPI, which stands for Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It was a busy month for the Molinaro household between speaking engagements, cooking demonstrations, and interviews. I was at once heartened and admittedly a little drained by being in the spotlight. I don't know if this sounds relatable, but towards the end of the month, I just wanted to be like, hey, can you just look at me as Joanne and not as a Korean American? I remember speaking with a colleague at the firm when the Atlanta shootings happened last year and how she was grappling with two emotions that were at odds with each other. As the rise in Asian hate shook our community, she wanted to feel seen and heard because it was causing her so much anxiety as a Korean American woman. But she also wanted to be treated as just another lawyer without having to explain or talk about her Koreanness. Now, it's a complicated issue. On the one hand, I think it is important that the AANHPI community be granted fair and adequate representation, and therefore highlighting unique experiences and diving into how they affect cultural identity is critical. But on the other hand, by about May 25th, I really just wanted to say, hey, I eat pasta with sauce out of jar sometimes. <laughs> this is totally true. We are all multifaceted. Identity isn't a picture-perfect puzzle where all the pieces fit together as if they were carved out for each other. Some aspects of our personality may not vibe with others. For example, I love to push myself physically because I value the confidence it builds, but I also very much enjoy days like today, being able to roll out of bed with zero workout plan for the day. Similarly, some days I feel compelled to share stories about my childhood as a Korean American to help those like me feel seen and heard while challenging others who may be less familiar with the narratives of diaspora. But on other days, I just want to blend in with the crowd, be a little invisible while the spotlight shifts to someone else. As we wrap up our discussion on knowing yourself, resist the urge to force the pieces of who you are into a predetermined mold. It's okay if some pieces don't seem to fit well with others. These parts deserve a place in your puzzle as much as all the other ones. In fact, it may be those jagged, irregular shapes that you'll grow to love the most as they push you past the illusory boundaries they've set for you, that you've set for yourself. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or you just enjoy our chats in general, please rate and leave a comment below on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if there's a particular episode that you really enjoyed, I would so very much appreciate it if you shared it with your friends, your colleagues, your family. And of course, if you'd like to see any of the photos or other things that I included in this week's podcast show notes, you can head to the link below. Otherwise, until next week, I hope you have a lovely and wonderful day.